How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Throwback Thursday. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to another Throwback Thursday. Today, we're going to look back to October 19th, 2020, and our episode with Mark Hoppus from Blink breaking down What's My Age Again. Yeah, it was our 21st episode, and we were very excited to have Mark on. I mean, Blink-182 being this huge band that everyone knows, and we were definitely excited, and people that listened were definitely excited. And I think that this episode, I don't know, it, it really stoked the flames for us of wanting to make this podcast amazing. Not that we already didn't want to, but just seeing the excitement from everyone. And this this episode caught on and kind of, I don't know, I would say this episode kind of went viral, wouldn't you, Chris? It did. It got picked up by a bunch of news agencies. We were we were absolutely amazed, both both you and I, about all that. And and our listeners just loved this episode. It uh, as they say it, it has legs. They people people still talk about it. And it's one of the first episodes I remember. It, it probably happened prior to this that I you recall Mark getting a chuckle out of I told him that the chorus hit at twenty three seconds and he had, he he let out a hearty laugh. He couldn't believe he couldn't believe that. He had, you know it was one of those times where, where the artist uh, was amazed by knowledge of their song they never thought about before. Right. I love when you tell people things about their songs that they never thought about before. And it's kind of <laughs> like you see the light bulb go off like, oh, yeah, I think that's like a really cool thing for the guests on this show that sometimes you discover those sort of things. That's happened a lot of times on this show, which I think is awesome. Like when he told Huey Lewis that, uh, you know, there's no harmonies in Power of Love until like the end. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. <laughs> which I thought I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, the thing that kind of went viral in this Mark Hoppus episode was when he talked about how he first started to write this song, what he was doing, which I don't know, people probably know by now, but I won't spoil it. You got to listen to the episode and you could see, but that's the thing about this episode that went viral. And I never would have even gave that a second thought, but I guess on this episode was the first time he ever said that. Yeah, and uh, of course it's the first album they had with Travis Barker. They were, you know, coming off the Dude Ranch tour uh, that, that uh, Less Than Jake had uh, had played with them, and they were just writing the next batch of songs with no idea of what uh, what lie ahead for them, and uh, it was a complete explosion uh, <laughs> when this record was released. Right, and, you know, in the time since this episode aired, Mark's gone through a lot. He announced his cancer diagnosis, and he went through everything that he did, and thank goodness that he seems to be doing well now that dude despite all the success he's had is just so down to earth and so generous with his time and just an all-around inspiring and nice guy it seemed like everybody that i know let out a sigh of relief when he announced that the cancer was in remission well that's right we're completely stoked on mark's clean bill of health and we wish him nothing but the best going forward so sit back and enjoy this throwback thursday Hey gang, today's guest is my old pal, Mark Hoppus, bassist and lead vocalist for Blink-182. Mark was kind enough to let me pick one of their songs to dissect today, and I went with their breakout hit, What's My Age Again. I share with Mark exactly where I was when I first heard the track, and what my initial impression of it was. We talk about how the dynamic within the band changed upon Travis Barker joining, and how producer Jerry Finn was considered the fourth member of Blink-182. Mark shares how the song was written very quickly in the first house that he owned, and he remembers the band being super impressed upon initially hearing it. We also talk about the legacy that the song still has 21 years after its release, and Mark tells an embarrassing story from the pop disaster tour that involves Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Stay tuned. 
Less Than Jake and Blink uh, did a six-week U.S. tour uh, together back in the fall of 1997. Uh, you guys were touring behind your uh, uh, Dude Ranch record, which was your major label debut for uh, MCA Records. Uh, I distinctly remember uh, being parked outside of a venue, Mark, and you walked up to our van and told me uh, excitedly uh, that Damn It had just gotten put into rotation uh, on MTV. And uh, I, w- I was truly witnessing the machine that was at work. Uh, y- your manager at the time, Rick DeVoe, uh, and MCA, they, they did a fantastic job marketing uh, and promoting the band. Uh, <clears throat> fast forward to March 1999, uh, Less Than Jake played an event uh, called Boarding for Breast Cancer at the Boreal uh, Ski Resort in Lake Tahoe. Uh, Goldfinger, Third Eye Blind, and you guys were also uh, on that bill. Uh, and at the time, uh, our two bands shared a booking agent named Rick Bondi. And uh, Rick and I were talking backstage when he said uh, to me, he said, hey, Chris, you got to come out to my truck and, and hear the new Blink single. And uh, he popped in the advanced cassette of What's My Age Again. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I sat there mesmerized by not only how catchy it was, but also how amazing uh, it sounded. Uh, you know, rarely in my life um, have I been so sure about something, but, you know, I knew unequivocally 100% that this song was a smash and it would take a catastrophic uh, <laughs> fuck up on MCA's part for that not to happen. So, Take us back, if you will, Mark. Do you, do you remember writing the song? I do remember writing the song, and thanks for all your kind words. I was sitting on the floor of the first house that I bought uh, with our first advance from Dude Ranch, and I was messing around on a guitar, and I started writing a joke song uh, that was really vulgar, <laughs> a lot more <laughs> vulgar than the final song. You uh, know. Yeah, believe it or not, I'm sad <laughs> to say. But yeah, I wrote this really vulgar song and I was going to record it as a joke song for Blink, but I don't know. I just, it sounded like it had some potential, and it sounded like it could actually be a pretty decent regular song. So I changed the lyrics and uh, began writing it and basically wrote the majority of the song in probably five minutes, I think, and yeah. presented the idea to Tom and Travis at rehearsal, and they thought it was a rad idea, and we just built it out from there. So, you know, can't believe everything you read on the internet, but I read that this was originally titled Peter Pan Complex. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, I I wrote a song and and that was the original title. That was the working title. That is the title on all of the reels uh, from the recording (laughs) session with Jerry Finn. And when we went to give it to the label, the label was like, but if we were to release this as a single, people won't understand that Peter Pan Complex means what's my age again. You need to name it something that uh, that is recognizable from the song and we were like that's kind of ridiculous you know bands that we love have titles that are unrelated to any of the lyrics in the song and people still get it uh but mca was pretty insistent uh which is why on the when we really insisted on the second single uh well on back on uh sorry on dude ranch it was damn it parentheses growing up and then it was Josie, parentheses, everything's going to be fine. And on this one, we didn't want parentheses. So they really made us just say, what's my age again? That's interesting. Well, and, and coming from a band with song titles such as Dick Lips and Apple Shampoo and M&Ms, I mean, Peter Pan Complex would have fit right in. But uh... Totally. And, and I felt like, <laughs> and I felt like, uh, and they were worried about Disney suing us and all kinds of weird things. So I, you know, uh, it was very corporate uh, environment at the, at the label at the time and uh luckily they let us pretty much record the album we wanted to nobody from the label came down to the studio uh except maybe to check in and say hi but there was never any direction from the label as far as creative stuff so they let us do what we wanted in the studio but they were pretty insistent on having a title that people would go into the record store call up a radio station say i want to hear what's my age again well i i hate to say it as an artist i'm, I'm there with you mark but i think that was the right decision <laughs> looking back yeah <laughs> in, in retrospect <laughs> In retrospect, I don't think that it should have been called Peter Pan Complex. <laughs> What's my age again feels right. It, it, it really does. You know, you touched on Jerry Finn a moment ago, and uh, I, I was struck, and I, I mentioned it in the, in the, in the intro, uh, about uh, when Rick uh, Bondi played me the, the song initially. I just struck on the production, and uh, obviously what, what, what Travis brought to the table. And uh, that's, that's not a knock against Scott, who uh, Rainer, who was there during the uh, tour that we did with you for Dude Ranch, but it was just like the whole band was elevated. I was just like, like I said, I was mesmerized and I was, I was happy for you guys. I was proud of you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, the song has just become, uh, it was your breakout, breakout single. So again, let's, let's set it up. You were, you were writing it in, in your first home and, and you said that it was, uh, really quickly, which some of the greatest songs are written in five minutes. And, uh, 
when you got it uh, to the guys, Tom and Travis, do you remember the initial what was was the lyrics there yet, or was it just like a melody and a, and and the uh, guitar arrangement, the chords? Uh, it was the first. No, actually, by the time that I brought it to Tom and Travis, it was uh, first and second verse and the chorus. So we were really building out the bridge we didn't have yet, and and then uh, when we got into the studio, originally the song ended at the end of the last chorus. But I really liked the way that the guitar, the arpeggiated guitar progression over the chorus uh, rhythm guitars sounded. So we actually extended the song, but this is before Pro Tools. So we actually had to bounce everything from 24 track two inch onto another 24 track two inch, cut it out and splice it together. Uh, and and for those and I've talked about Pro Tools on my show before, before, you know, for those that don't know, that was a pain in the ass. <laughs> it was a total pain in the ass. People don't realize <laughs> how much work recording is now, but how much work it used to be back before Pro Tools. I mean, every day someone had to go into the studio, fire up the twenty-four uh, track two-inch machine, calibrate everything, get every, like take tiny little like um, tiny screwdrivers and just tweak little tiny screws to make sure all the heads are aligned perfectly and everything's calibrated perfectly because the 24 track playhead had to be perfectly aligned so that nothing was off time. And even just a fraction of an inch of misalignment would create phasing issues. And uh, it was crazy. Yeah. I remember distinctly showing up to recording studios and the engineer had been there three or four hours before the band turned up. By the time we got there, he was completely over it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But, uh, so do you remember in uh, when you were writing this, how many other songs uh, were written for Enema of the State? Was this one of the first ones or was it somewhere in the middle? I feel like it was one of the first ones. I feel like it was one of the beginning ones. And it was one that kind of, I don't even think that we were in the recording process at the time, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I think that this was all, you know, this was before we had the money to just go into a studio and start writing. Uh, this was back when we would, write songs. Literally, Tom and I would call each other up on the telephone, play each other a progression, kind of sing it over the phone. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. Remember that one. And then we would get into a rehearsal space in Escondido and rehearse up there. It was a tiny, I mean, tiny, tiny, maybe like 10 by 10 foot room. And we were all right on top of each other. Travis's drum kit, Tom, his microphone, his guitar setup, me, my bass, my microphone, sweaty, hot, playing songs back and forth to each other. And I think we demoed those songs at that rehearsal studio. And then once the songs were totally ready to go, Jerry Finn came in. We played him all the songs. He made his adjustments. Oh, what about this? What about this? I like that. Change the chord, you know, all the stuff that a producer comes in and does. And then we went uh, up to L.A. and recorded it proper. Gotcha. Now, during this time, uh, do you remember when you wrote it? Was it uh, were you in between Dude Ranch tours or, or was a was the touring cycle for Dude Ranch completed? You were off and you were in between records. I don't remember that, but I feel like we were in between records at the time. But we were playing shows so much that it never felt like we stopped touring. It wasn't like, OK, we released the album and then we're going to tour for three months and then we're going to stop touring and we're going to start recording the next record. It was like we were touring and playing shows and we'd get added on to this date and we get added on to this date. And Oh, oh, these, these five shows came up. We're going to do a little mini run of that. So it wasn't ever like we did a proper dude ranch tour. We just started touring and never stopped. <laughs> yeah. And, and somewhere along the line, we were in there with you guys. And like I said, I saw, I saw what was happening. It was just one little thing after the other and you could see the momentum building. And, and of course you had been on some warp tours by that time. And, uh, it, it was really cool to see, you know, you mentioned, uh, Jerry Finn a moment ago, uh, rest his soul. Um, you know, my listeners know from some past episodes, we've talked about Jerry, uh, he, uh, got his, uh, an initial fame from, from mixing Dookie. And, uh, how was Jerry brought into the process? Was that, was that something that, that you guys, was he on your wish list of a producer? Or was this a, a suggestion from MCA? I think that it was a suggestion from MCA. We didn't know that Jerry had mixed Dookie at the time. I don't even know that Jerry's credited as mixing Dookie in the liner notes. Is he, I, I'd have to go back and check, but I, I want to say came- he is, but I, yeah. Jerry came to mix Dookie by a very roundabout way. They had recorded, Green Day and Rob Cavallo recorded the record. I guess they had sent it out to several mixers. Jerry was an engineer on the project, and they weren't happy with the mixes that they were getting back. And so I think in the studio, they just turned to Jerry and were like, hey, 
you seem to know what you're doing. You want to take a crack at mixing this. And he kind of like fell into it like that. And Jerry was this amazing talent that I don't know. I, I don't think that they realized was sitting in the room with him at the time. Or maybe they did. And that's why they asked him to mix the record. But I think that Jerry came to us through MCA. We met with him. He just, he just seemed like a brother from the first time that I remember hanging out with him. He always was like the fourth member of Blink-182, a dear friend, just the smartest, funniest, most talented music producer, mixer I could ever hope to meet. Uh, I can corroborate everything you said about Jerry. Uh, we worked with Rob Cavallo on a record and uh, Rob said the same thing. It was just like Jerry one night was like, you know, you mind if I have a shot? And, and uh, he was in there uh, tinkering around and Rob came in. I can't remember what song it was. Rob had told me, came in the next morning and, and heard a mix and was like, oh my God, here it is. <laughs> yeah. He was fi finally hearing what, what he wanted to hear. Um, do you remember Jerry's initial take uh, when he, he heard What's My Age Again? I think he liked it. I mean, I don't remember the first time that he heard it. I remember him coming into the rehearsal spot and us playing the songs for him before we demoed them. And he he took notes on, uh, he always carried around these green spiral bound notebooks and he would take all of his notes in those. And, and I think he liked it right off the bat. I don't think that he had any real comments on it at all. Right. And anybody else, your, your manager, Rick at the time, or anybody from MCA, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they, they were hearing the demos and well, did, did you demo this a proper demo? I, I think so, but I don't remember specifically. I, I, I believe we did. I know that we demoed a whole bunch of songs before we went into the studio, um, but I don't know if this was one of them. I have to think that it was. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'd like to get into uh, uh, break down the song a little bit now and get in, get into the lyrics and the first verse. Of course, it it starts out with that uh, catchy, uh, amazing uh, arpeggiated guitar part, and it's it's very quick. Uh, within about. Uh, Eight seconds were in the first verse, and uh, I'm going to read this right now. I took her out. It was a Friday night. And I got to tell you, Mark, and I, I, I saw something recently on Twitter of the second line where, you, you know, some fans were busting your chops and you were busting it right back. Uh, the second line I never knew till I printed the lyrics out yesterday. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I wore cologne to get the feeling right. We started, yes. we started making out and she took off my pants, but then I turned on the TV. Um, I always said, I thought you said I walk alone to get the feeling right. <laughs> I know. It's what it sounds like. If you listen, if you just listen to it and you don't read the lyrics, it sounds like I walk alone to get the feeling right, but it's not. I walk alone. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I walk alone to get the feeling right. We started making Like that's how much of a shithead I was. Like I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was going to impress this girl by wearing a bunch of cologne. Like check me out. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, and it's great. And when I when I finally when I listened to this song again, I mean, I've heard this song a million times, but when I listened to it and I I zoned in on that, I'm like, yeah, he's saying I wore cologne, son of a son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> can I tell you? Can I tell you a little funny aside? Please uh, do. Occasionally, I play shows with uh, a band called the Royal Machines, and it's uh, it's Dave Navarro, it's Josh Freeze, it's it's a bunch of like uh, like rock guys. Mark McGrath is in the band, uh, and. We were going to cover What's My Age Again, and I felt so validated in my life because Dave Navarro told me, hey, man, I can't play that beginning lick on the guitar. It's too difficult for me. Do you mind if we split it up like I do like half of the riff and he does the other half of the riff? And I was like, hell yeah, right on. If Dave Navarro can't play my riff, I wrote a good riff. <laughs> it's a tricky little thing, buddy. It's it a is. Tricky you, have to, you have to skip over strings, and it's all, it's all articulated, and it's not distorted. And it's just the guitar that's out there naked all by itself. So if you mess up one of the one of the strings, it's it's just out there. No, it's a, it, it's a tough riff. And that's uh, that's really cool that Dave uh, uh, was that humble to you, because as we know, he's he's a ripper. <laughs> oh, he's shredder. I mean, he's one of the best guitarists. <laughs> I know that's a, that's the ultimate compliment. Um, so this first verse and actually the, the whole song, you know, and when you get to the popularity that you guys did then. And, and again, I saw the evolution of what was happening to you. And I know um I mean, your influences are, are everything from The Cure to Screeching Weasel to The Descendants. Uh, it's kind of all over the place. And and I know Tom was really into Screeching Weasel. Uh, but these lyrics could have been on a Screeching Weasel record. And uh, uh, and I mean that with utmost sincerity, because that's one of my favorite bands. Um, you know, this first verse, again, you said you're being a shithead. Um, do you remember if the first verse was always this or had it, did it kind of go through an evolution? It was always this, except... The ending wasn't, I turned on the TV. It was, so, it was something, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something way more vulgar than, and then I turned on the TV. 
Oh, I wish we remembered. I'm sure it was great, though. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was awful. I'm glad. I'm probably glad I don't remember it. But the the idea was always like, you know, I took her out. We had a good time. We started making out. You know, she takes off my pants, and then like I just did the the worst thing in the world. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Um, yeah. Well, and and now that line. What's interesting is this first line, and that's about the time she walked away from me, is that the end, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not really asking, I'm just talking out loud, is that the end of the verse, is that a really short pre-chorus, or is that the start of the chorus? And that's Shit, what, I never even, I never even thought about it. And, I and that's what's genius about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I would say that it is, I don't know, it's a pre-chorus. That's about the time she walked away from me. Yeah, I would say it's a pre-chorus. <laughs> kind of i mean so so i guess the chorus starts with nobody likes you when you're 23 but but to me oh, no, i would say no, that's about the, i would say away from me i'd say that's the <laughs> the one of the chorus that's the, they walked away yeah the one of the choruses on way from me yeah well um i i really again when i when i get in here and i break down the songs i always find little interesting tidbits and that was something with this song I'm sitting here going wait a second that's kind of the verse wait no that's a pre-chorus but wait the second time it happens in the song it's different so what wait is it the start of the chorus and uh, i'm glad I, I got you thinking too that's really cool um so we get into the chorus um nobody likes you when you're 23 and i'm still more amused by tv shows what the hell is add my friends say i should act my age what's my age again what's my age again so you know, I, I know the first verse you're talking about the, you know, kind of being a shithead or whatever. Was was this song in any ways, was it autobiographical or were you just kind of writing a funny song? I was just writing a funny song. I'll, I'll tell you where the very, very order, origin of the song was, was there's a Green Day song called J.A.R. that's on the uh, Angus soundtrack. Yeah. It, and it starts off with this bass intro that's really rad. And I was messing around on guitar trying to learn that, and I kind of messed up the progression, and I played it incorrectly, and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. And that was the basis for the opening riff of the song, was me trying to learn how to play J.A.R. on guitar and messing <laughs> it up and coming up with something that I liked that was different than that. Oh, um, that's awesome, man. That's Yeah, J.A.R. Uh, is one of my favorite Green Day songs. Just And it's such a great song. And And this is a story that is completely embarrassing to me so i would love to share it with your audience <laughs> please do <laughs> when we started the pop disaster tour blink 182 and green day uh at one of the first shows i think it was in bakersfield or something like that and and uh we had, blink and green day had done some um like promo stuff together and taken photos and i think we'd done like a uh some kind of a press conference like a virtual press conference where people were calling in with questions and we, we'd met each other and we kind of made friends I was in Green Day's dressing room of the first night of the show, talking with Billy Joe and just like, hey, you know, I'm a big fan. I love your, you know, been influenced by your band and stuff. And man, I fucking love Jar so much. That song is so good. Like, I think that's your best song. And man, I, I just really am a fan. And he goes, oh, that's cool. Yeah, Mike Dirt wrote that one. It's the only one of our songs that he wrote. <laughs> I did not. I did, I did not know that for real. I didn't know it either. And so I was like, oh, well. I, you know, I love all your songs a lot, but I'm sure there's other ones I like just as much. There's no way to backpedal or recoup from that. <laughs> no, but he was really gracious and he didn't say like in a dick way or anything. He was like, oh yeah, you know, Mike wrote that one. That's, and I was like, oh fuck. Okay. Well. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've done that before, uh, with, with artists. I've said things then, uh, oh man, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one because you mean it with the utmost sincerity, but then it's like, you know, the, the brakes come on. Um, that's, that, that's awesome. Um, I saw you guys on that tour uh, in Atlanta and it was, it was great. Um, so second verse comes out of the chorus and the chorus just has like a half of the intro. It's very quick. That guitar part comes back in, which the guitar part is just, it, it's iconic. It's, it's haunting and it's just so catchy. Um, then later on, on the drive home, I called her mom from a payphone. I said I was the cops and your husband's in jail. The state looks down on sodomy. And that's about the time that bitch hung up on me. So again, Damn. yeah. So again, this was, uh, this was just a story you were writing. And, and yeah, you... it was just a story I was writing. Um, by the way, I want to say, I want to cut back to the chorus, the first chorus real yeah. quick. Yeah. I love that. Nobody likes you when you're 23 has somehow become part a small little corner of popular culture. They literally, 
almost every single day, at least every single week, I get tagged on Instagram where people are having their 23rd birthday and people get them a Blink-182 cake and it says, nobody likes you when you're 23 in icing on the outside of the cake. All the time, literally almost every single day that happens. And oh, it makes me cool. so happy that even now, 20 years later, that song still, that line still resonates and that song still resonates in such a way that on their 23rd birthday, people are, you know, hitting me up on Twitter, like, hey, I'm turning 23. Is everything going to suck now? Or, hey, I just turned 24. <laughs> I guess people are going to like me again. But it's just so weird that that one little idea, and I only said 23. I think I was 25 at the time uh, that I wrote the song, or maybe 26. But it was only because it rhymed with way me. for me. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, man, I, I'm, I'm smiling ear to ear. That's a, I'm proud of you, man. That's awesome. That's a, that, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a great, who, who would have thought that you know, 22 years later, you wrote this in whatever, 98, 99, 21, 22 years later, that, yeah. uh, that, that, that would be happening. Certainly if I would have told you in 99, that'd be happening in 20, you'd be like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Nah, no way. The, the, so the second verse, I, th I don't think I wrote on the same day. I think that once I presented the idea to, to Tom and Travis and we were like, let's make this a real song. I think I wrote that later, and uh, I'm really proud of the fact that I think that Blink-182 is the first band to ever be on radio with the song Sodomy in it. Like, <laughs> in the charts, in the alternative radio charts, with the words Sodomy. It just isn't, uh, yeah, it just doesn't happen very often, or, or no, ever, uh -huh. or ever. We, we planted that flag. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get any, uh, any, any sodomy tweets or anything or, you Not know, really? No, no. no? Okay. okay. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah. The, the, the cake, uh, the 23 cakes a little easier to swallow. No pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hey everybody, don't leave. We got part two of our Throwback Thursday episode with Mark Hoppus after a few words from our sponsors. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'll be fine. It's not the first. Just like last time. And now, back to the show. The line again, and that's about the time that bitch hung up on me, uh, changes uh, from the first line, which now that I think about it, it almost leads itself that this is this is still part of the verse because you're continuing the continuing the thought of, of what you were telling this uh, uh, this mother, this woman on the phone. Um, so up to this point in the song, do you remember um, anything in the studio like that, that Jerry was throwing out? Did he have a anything to say for the lyrics or, or the arrangement at this point? Not at this point. The, uh, the point where Jerry, now, now that we're talking about it in detail, the point that Jerry came in and wanted to change things was the bridge. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we come out of the second chorus and I had come up with a bass part for the bridge, but it was way too long. Like, like the guitar was doing its part. Like Tom came up with this arpeggiated guitar thing that goes over the bass. And originally I think it was eight full measures and it just seemed like it took forever. And then Jerry was like, that, that's just way too long. It gets boring. We need to cut it down. So originally the guitar part went two and two and four. And now I think it goes one and one and two. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's funny you say that now, cause I was kind of thinking that's where you're going to go with this. Cause that bridge was, was kind of a departure for blink, at least at that time, you guys really hadn't done anything. I know, uh, just the, the backbeat and, and, and the rhythm, a lot of that is Travis in there. And it was really different at the time for you guys. And it, it makes sense that Jerry would have had a, had a part in that. Um, so the, the second chorus, and we're going to get to that, that bridge in a moment. Uh, okay, cool. I love that part. Um, the second chorus changes. You know, the first line is nobody likes you when you're 23. Um, but the second line is, is I'm still more amused by prank phone calls. What the hell is call ID instead of ADD? caller ID? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, my friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? And I want to point out that at this moment in the song, Mark, and this this was 
I was astonished by this uh, earlier when I when I noticed it. It's only a minute and ten seconds at this point. <laughs> Dude, there's songs. There's songs you don't get to the fucking chorus until a minute. You yeah, know, true. a lot of a lot of great popular pop songs. Uh, yeah. a, a minute ten, and we're already through the second chorus. Which, you know, at the time. Um, you know, your audience was a pop punk audience coming off a of dude ranch. That was your bread and butter. You know, you guys were a punk rock band and, uh, mm-hmm. fast, quick songs. I mean, this song is only two minutes and 26 seconds for a radio song. That's a little, a little short, you know? Um, and I, I just marveled at that. I got a kick out of that one ten. I never realized that until I analyzed the song. I'm like, Holy crap. We're only at one ten. And then the bridge comes in and the bridge is 25 seconds long. So holy ta- balls for real. Yeah, yeah. The bridge is 25 seconds long. So, so talk about that. So now all of a sudden you're only a minute and 10 in and this breath of fresh air, it, it's a complete departure. Was that something that you wrote? I mean, I know you said there was some, some, some changes and, and Tom had had this thing, but how did Jerry come into play with this? And how did this finally get sussed out? If you remember. Uh, if I remember correctly, we were in the studio in Encinitas and it was, it was just way too long. And I think everybody had the same thought, like this is just going on forever. Uh, and so we just shortened Tom's guitar part and shortened the whole thing by almost half. And I think that the bridge is really indicative of the X factor that Travis brings into Blink-182. Just like the, just the quiet drums with a side stick. It's so tasty. It's so well done. And it seems it's one of those things that I would never think of in a million years. Tom would never think of in a million years. But Travis comes in and does something over our ideas that just elevates it to a completely different place that really indicates what Travis brings to Blink. Like his creative ideas over stuff that Tom, I mean, literally Tom and I used to come with a Travis and go, I think the drums go like this. And we play like a you know, a basic pattern on our knees or, you know, <laughs> yeah, sing it yeah. to him or whatever. And Travis just nods at us and goes, yeah, yeah, cool. Okay. And then goes in and does whatever it is that comes to his mind. And it's always way better. So I don't even like literally now, if I have an idea to present to Travis, I record it to a click and I send it to him without any, like not even any ideas of drums. I don't think this is a double time song. I don't think this is a mid tempo song. Just here's the song. Here's the tempo. Go do your thing. Yeah, and I've talked to people about Travis before. I don't think people realize what a songwriter he is. He's so much more than a drummer, and it was apparent when he got in the band. And this part, he he's just kind of so involved with it. And just like you said, the side stick and just the snare stuff and just how how the the bridge builds in the song. And then just yeah. that snare just goes, and then boom, you're in that third chorus. The overdubs and everything in the bridge, the, the how the guitar changes. Um, it's just it's awesome. I, I I love the part, and it's such a breath of fresh air. Not that you really need one because we're only a minute and ten into the song. <laughs> but it's so crowded; like everything happens so quickly. Like the guitar starts, goes around twice, the bass comes in, the vocals come in. All of a sudden, the chorus hits, goes straight back into the second verse, straight into the second chorus. And like if we had if we had written a uh, a bridge that had a lot of stuff going on and lyrics happening, I don't know. It just feels like, like you said, it's a breath of fresh air. It's a break from the frenetic energy of the song. Uh, yeah. And, and, and what, and what would you have said in the bridge? I was going to say you, there's no lyrics here, but I don't, I don't think you needed lyrics. Obviously you didn't, it doesn't call for it. There's, there's, there's a lot going on here. There is, there is actually a lot going on and it, it changes quickly enough that it doesn't get boring. Um, I, li- I really like Tom's guitar part. I think it's I think it's peak Tom DeLong, like writing a little guitar riff for the for that section. Yeah, I love what Travis did. You know, my bass basically stays the same the whole time, uh, but those guys really get it artistic with it, and I think it's perfect. Yeah, no, it's 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 awesome. It's an amazing part, um, and so that was twenty five seconds, which isn't excruciatingly long. It, it's perfect for the part, but then the last chorus is a double chorus. Um, yes. And, uh, this is the last 50 seconds of the song. It's a double chorus here and it's almost a minute long, um, which is testament to just how catchy it is. And it, and it's warranted. It's uh, it's perfect. Cause again, the song's only two minutes and 26 seconds, which is remarkable. Um, the chorus, uh, and that's about the time she walked away from me out of the bridge. Nobody likes you when you're 23 and you still act like you're in freshman year. What the hell is wrong with me? My friends say I should act my aids. 
what's my age again? What's my age again? Um, and then on the second half of the course, we'll get there in a second. I love the second half because that arpeggiated intro guitar comes back in really loud. And it's so cool that it works over that riff. I think that might, I think that might have been Jerry's idea or my idea that because that's that's something that I don't think that we were doing before that point. I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to to all the other songs we wrote before that, but but that was kind of the thing that that I love in that song. The when that arpeggiated guitar comes back in and the um the other backing vocal comes in the please stay with me one yeah and it's kind of going between the left and the right speaker with that vocal effect on it it's really neat um and not to take anything away from uh fellow uh san diego uh in uh, mark trombino who produced dude ranch uh but you know mark uh i've met mark work with mark he was he was more of an engineer uh you know someone that would record you and uh you know jerry to me seem more like a, a producer in the sense of, of things that we're talking about with the guitars and this should come in and, and how integral was he? It sounds like he, he was to, to, uh, uh, suggesting parts like, Hey, what if we had this? And like, did he come up with that vocal effect and the panning back and forth? I think that that was probably Tom Lord algae. Ah, the mixing. Uh, if I, yeah, if I remember correctly, I don't, you know what I want to do now is I want to go back and bring up the bring up the sessions and and find out originally what we had tracked just to see where everything lays. But um, but yeah, Jerry was very integral in every single part of Blink One Eighty Two. He he would have uh, ideas. He wouldn't suggest like necessarily, hey, I have an idea for this part, and then he'd like grab a guitar and write a guitar part. He would be like, you know, what if that part was not so busy? What if you did half of that? Or what if you did twice as much of that? Or, you know, what if we took this section that you did in the beginning and overdubbed it here as well? But he he also was completely hands-on with all of the sounds. He, he grew up playing in punk rock bands and he went through the entire studio system, you know, starting off as an assistant and a runner at studios in Los Angeles. So he had this vast knowledge of music and how songs work together and also the knowledge of all the gear and how everything worked. We spent days and days getting Travis's drum sounds uh, together at a studio called Mad Hatter in West Hollywood, not West Hollywood, in uh, North Hollywood, Okay, which was Chick Corea's studio back in the day. Mm. And, uh, and Jerry was just so meticulous over tones. It would drive Travis and Tom absolutely crazy because <laughs> we take, he would take hours and hours agonizing over microphone placement and which compressor and at which rate. And literally when we were on the Untitled album, he would, uh, we would test cables. He would... We'd spend like two hours testing different cables, laying in different directions over different. It was he was that meticulous, but that's why everything sounds so good. Oh, absolutely no. Um, and and I just it's so nice to hear. I love when bands have great producer stories because people don't realize how integral. And and, and you you said it uh, at, at the top that he was like the fourth member of Blink. He really was. And you know when we worked with Mark, Mark was also a great producer, a great engineer, getting great sounds. He had ideas. He was throwing them at us. I think that. With Dude Ranch, you know, we were on a very small budget. We were given a very limited amount of time. And when we were recording Dude Ranch, we wanted to be a very, what we thought at the time was a very punk rock band. That we didn't want to do a bunch of extra stuff. We wanted to do this thing. I mean, we spent more time on stupid, like, joke interludes in Dude Ranch of, like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever the dumb joke interludes were in Dude Ranch that we did, we spent way more time on that than we did on trying to get the perfect vocal take. So Yeah, and I, I, I can relate to that. You guys were young. Uh, you, you knew who your fan base was. You guys hadn't broke out yet. And uh, you were wanting to uh, yeah, be yourselves, but also be who you thought uh, uh, people wanted you to be. And, and that's a tough spot to be in. And then you get someone like Jerry. How do you feel that you guys were open to that with him? Did you feel like you were ready for, for the next step uh, the, of what Jerry was bringing uh, in terms of production? I think that we were ready to make a record that we were really proud of across the board from the, from the sounds to the songs to the potential that we could take. And Jerry had this innate ability to get the best possible performance and work out of every person in our band. Like there's a way to talk to Tom to get the absolute best out of him, which is entirely different than the best way to talk to Travis to get the best out of him, which is different than how you, how he talks to me. 
and he just has that ability, that innate charm, or I don't know, like he would be a great con man if he was an evil person, but he wasn't. <laughs> but he just has that, he just has that, I don't know, quality where he knows you as a person and he knows how to talk to you in a way that inspires you, but also makes you want to work harder. I've, I've always said that the best producers are, are, are part-time psychologists. They really are. Totally. They really um, it, are. It, it, it's, it, I, I equate it. I used to play sports growing up. I equate it to having a great coach, someone who's able to go, okay, I, I know how I have to train this guy. I know how I have to train this guy. They're two different human beings. I can't train them the same. And it's the same in the studio. I can't react to Travis how I'm going to react to Mark. They're two different humans. And what works with one doesn't work with the other. Uh, and that's really awesome that you brought that up because I've, I've talked about that before. It's such a great point. Um, something real quick, and I want to I just... Uh, uh, go over the last uh, lyric here in the double chorus of the of the last chorus. Was it ever brought up by Jerry or anybody? Did you ever think yourself that wow, all these choruses are different and there's a lot of words? I mean, the refrain's always the same. What's my age again? What's my age again? But every chorus changes, and a lot of times you want the simplicity of a chorus to just hit you over the head with the same thing. Or did did you always want these to be different lyrically? I always wanted those to be different lyrically, and that's something that I always like and something that we still employ lyrically now is where you take the basic structure and you change a couple words here and there to progress the story and to keep it interesting. So it still feels like home. It still feels like something that uh, I, I read somewhere that the best songwriting, the best art and the best books and everything else is the evolution of familiarity. Yeah. Where you introduce an idea, people latch onto that idea and then the next time it comes around, you change it slightly. And so they're still involved and that change grabs them even more. And I don't know, like Matt does it a lot in Alkaline Trio. Other artists I know do it a lot where you just change a couple words here and there and it progresses. It makes things a little bit different, but it still feels like something that is home. Yeah. And I think the story needed it here. I think it, uh, I, I obviously works perfect. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, to, to know about that if it was ever that discussion, because a lot of times, uh, it can go either way. A lot of times, yeah, there's, there's too much here. We gotta, we gotta lack of a better word, dumb it down or, or no, it's gotta be, gotta be this much content. And, uh, I think it's great. Um, it's pretty rare that people tell Blink-182 we need to dumb it down. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, um, the, the second half of the chorus, uh, the last chorus, is that's about the time she broke up with me. No one should take themselves so seriously. With many years ahead to fall in line, why would you wish that on me? I never want to act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? What's my age again? Um, the song is done. You're uh, in the studio. I'm assuming by this point, uh, some of the suits, as we call them, the label people, A&R person, uh, they're hearing hearing this uh, come through the speakers in the studio. What? What's the thoughts? Was was this the, a surefire uh, first single, or, or was there uh, any others in the running? I think it was between this and all the small things as being the first single. Okay. Um, you know, back in the day, it used to be like your first single was the upbeat, like you know, positive, rock out, have a great party time song. Second single was a little more. I don't know, in the cut. And then third single was always a ballad. So that that was the formula back in the late 90s, as far as I could tell from releasing rock albums. And right. so, yeah. And of course, you guys led with this and all the small things. And then, of course, the ballad was Adam's song. Exactly. Uh, that came third and it, and it, and it worked uh, brilliantly. Um, so the song... I mean, and this is quick. Again, we played together in March 99. The song came out in April. And then we toured again together on the Warp Tour in 1999, a few short months later. And by that right. time, by that time, it was just, I mean, you guys were becoming superstars. And uh, it was it was amazing. And I remember, and I was going to ask you, uh, do you remember the first time playing What's My Age Again live? Nope, not at all. You don't? Not okay. even, I don't. I don't. I don't remember it at all. I wish I had it somewhere. I, as you were telling me that, I was like, I was talking about touring with you guys and talking about going on a I wish I could time travel back then and really appreciate better what was happening at the moment and really appreciate what was happening around me and appreciate like my bandmates more and the, the moment. But at the time, you're just in it and you know we're on the Warp Tour and we're working and we got all these shows and things are happening. We have all of a sudden we're supposed to do radio press and people are coming to the shows to interview us and take photographs and do things. And, and, uh, it's just this crazy whirlwind. And no, it's, I don't know. It, I it, it, it's, yeah, I, I, Oh man, I understand everything 
uh, that you're saying right now, because I wish I could go back sometimes and have a do over on a few things because it's just happening so fast. And for you guys, and I've seen this happen a couple of times. I mean, I've had a, a, an amazing career, but but it's a different level when you get to, to where you guys were at. And to see your friends, you you guys have always been grounded. You and Tom, Travis, you guys have always been been very cool to me and my band. I'll, I'll see you somewhere and, it, and we'll just pick up to, to where we were back in the day. Um, you're down to earth people. But man, I witnessed it. You guys were getting pulled every which direction. It was a million miles an hour. And uh, for a young person, for anybody, that's uh that's difficult to, to deal with. And I think you guys handled it uh, incredibly well. Thank you very much. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it's, it's crazy that again, uh, then the reason I asked about the first time you played What's My Age, I was going to ask what you, what was the reaction? Because I saw the reaction by the time I saw you guys play that track. And I don't remember if you played it at Boreal or not, that would have been, that would have preceded the record. It was before that album came out. Cause of course, Rick played me the advanced cassette of, of the song. I don't remember. I watched your set that day. I don't remember if you played it and you said one of the funniest damn things ever. I'll never forget Mark. And you were always funny and I love your humor and I follow you on Twitter and I'll, I'll stop with the compliments, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I've always said to people that Hoppus is one of the funniest SOBs I've ever met. And you get on stage that day at Boreal and uh, you, you go, hey, Tom, this is boarding for breast cancer. I thought this was skiing for syphilis. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember Mark laughing so hard. I'm like, oh, my God. Why didn't I think of that? Um, That's funny. Wow. I was, I was clever back then. You you were. You were you were clever from the time I met you. Um, so what is it like now? We t- touched on this a little bit. 22 years later and you know you you're walking into the mall with your son and your wife you're you're sitting down to dinner you're in an elevator and this song's following you around what does that still feel like it's so rad it's 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 great that people still listen to it i still love the song when we play it live and it comes up in the set and you know that riff starts and people cheer when they just hear the first three notes of the song like even just sitting here now talking about it gives me goosebumps uh, it's such me, a, me too, uh, me too. It, it's such a rad moment in the set. It's such a rad moment in my life personally. It's such a, a cool thing. Like I said, to see it still live on, on Instagram and on Twitter. And just to think that something that I wrote as a joke sitting on my floor in my kitchen, kitchen slash living room of this small house that I bought when we got our first advance, uh, has transcended into this other thing that was more than I would ever thought possible is really humbling and makes me happy and, and, and as it should you know and i and again i meant what i said uh, at the top meant everything i said this episode uh just so happy for you guys i got to see my friends and, and we were all rooting for you guys you know it's it's hard to get that kind of fame you're going to have detractors uh, uh of course in the 90s it was cries of their sellouts or this and that and uh you were always just mark man you were just mark and uh thank you i i, I love you to this day you and your band and uh wish you nothing but the best um if is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with uh anything uh uh with mark solo uh your stuff i know you got uh, a side project going with alex uh, from all time low yeah me and alex uh from all time low started a side band called simple creatures it's uh we call it trash pop it's really dirty poppy music very different than blink very different than all time low if you think you're getting like uh either of those bands you'll be Sorely disappointed, but hopefully in a in a positive way. I just started a radio show on Apple Music called After School Radio, uh, where I play music that I like and hang out and talk with my friends. And other than that, I'm just locked in my house recording Blink songs during quarantine. Right on. And any any plans to uh, to get back in the studio with, with Blink? Yeah. Well, Travis and I and Matt have been trading ideas around. Travis has his own studio. I have a studio set up uh, underneath the ground at my house. And Matt has access to his friend's studio. So although we haven't been together in person at all since, you know, probably late February, early March, Mm -hmm. uh, we still trade songs and are writing stuff. Awesome, man. Well, again, congratulations on everything. Can't wait to hear uh, hear the new Blink music. And uh, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. I can't wait to see you again. Hey everybody, I hope you were all feeling this Throwback Thursday episode. 
Don't forget, we have a giant back catalog of episodes with a lot of amazing guests, and the stories behind the songs don't change. So an episode from years ago will be just as good now as when it first came out. If you enjoy the show, we always appreciate the ratings and reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. And even more than that, we appreciate it when you tell a friend about the show. Our goal is to continue making the best music podcast possible, and your support is vital in that mission. So thanks, everybody. We'll be talking to you again real soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.